Well, this is the Lord's Day, and yesterday was Saturday, and it was also some of the day was uh, Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day is a day in which uh, Hallmark is created for uh, purposes of uh, financial reasons. You know, it's a day in which we uh, uh, are to be responsible for demonstrating, showing love to those uh, significant people in our lives, and I uh, hope you had an opportunity to do that and express it uh, in ways that were meaningful. And it really kind of begs the question we have this morning from the, the place that we're going to be uh, looking at out of God's Word. How is your love life? And in many ways, that's a great question for us all to answer because the Bible tells us that love is that which is most important in all of life. And so we're going to be seeing God challenge um, His people with examining their love life. Uh, just by way of uh, kind of celebration, uh, many of you know that we had our couples retreat last weekend, and, and that went really well in terms of uh, just uh, bringing people together and uh, focusing on uh, the marriage marriages that were represented there. And when you go to camp, if you had an opportunity to ever go to a camp, there, there are three kind of three main priorities. You got to make sure you have fun. I'm all into fun, which is always kind of amazing. When I get back from a camp, people always ask this question: Number one, did you get hurt, and did you hurt somebody else? I, I don't know why they, they always ask that, but um, you know, you're, you're really not having fun until somebody gets hurt. I mean, you got to go out there and do something. But anyway. Uh, you got to have a lot of fun, and then secondly, you got to have a lot of food. Um, they always feed us well, and then you need to have something to impact your faith. And faith not only, uh, as we would think, pri- in, in, as far as that would just preeminent, faith in your relationship with God, but also faith in your spouse and, and the faith in the institution of marriage, and, and that was done in a variety of different ways. Just a couple of bullet points, uh, things that um, I won't share as many as I did in the first service because I didn't get through everything I wanted in the first service, and that means if I do that again, I won't get through everything I want in the second service. Is that one of the things they mentioned is that life goes off script, which is basically a, like a phrase to say things don't always go according to your plan. Have you found that to be true? There's a certain way you think life ought to be and should be, and you're playing toward that, and it doesn't happen that way. And, and often we answer, ask the question, where is God when life goes off script, not according to our plan? And, and God uniquely uh, throughout Scripture as well as in marriages uses those things off script to really reveal and to give you opportunity to deepen your commitment to each other. And what you think should not happen actually was by God's design to happen so that you might learn the lessons of life you need to learn. Have you, have you often re- you know, experienced that, that some of the best lessons are learned the hard way? Anybody on that way? And those are the ones that really mark you and make a difference. Uh, then a couple of things, uh, then we'll move on, but, well, three things. One is, there's a phrase, uh, let's not do a lot once, but let's do a little a lot. In some ways, if you think about Valentine's Day, is if all you did was show your love on one day, and you did it a lot, how would that compare to doing it 364 other days, you did a little a lot of times? And doesn't that speak about relationships and also speaks about our walk with God is, is you, know, you know, God likes great and big things, but really he, what he wants is faithfulness and to have our love demonstrated in, in regular, uh, ongoing, daily experiences. And then the last one, uh, there were a number of kind of bullet points, but one is worth more than all. And, and that has so many applications in so many different ways, but Jesus said this, what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And I won't re-preach his message, but it's interesting. He, he made an analogy. It, you know, let's say you possessed everything on this planet. At the very end, would you exchange that for your life? And then if you apply it to your marriage, that's maybe how you ought to look at your spouse. 
is that your spouse is worth more than anything and anyone else in terms on a human level. And so one is worth more than all. So typically things this world has to offer. So anyway, there, there's some highlights kind of from the couples retreat, great time, and an opportunity just to build into marriages. And there's really only three institutions that God has created. He's created the Institute of, uh, of Marriage and of Government and also the institution of the church. And those things are, are precious in his eyes. Um, but anyway, as that is a kind of a introduction, before the introduction, let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray on this day in which we, we, on a weekend, kind of focus on love, and we've sung about love this morning, and we've seen through the baptism a demonstration of a love for you that we might kind of reexamine how's our love life this morning. Help us to, to think of some intentional ways that we need to examine just where we are with you and with the people around us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, the last book in the book, uh, the book of Revelation, and turn to the, basically the second chapter, though we'll look at a verse in the first chapter as well. And, and we're right in the midst of a series in which God has uniquely unveiled uh, who he is. Uh, we've really entitled this message, if you look on the, the web site as we've entitled this revelation who is and what is coming and revelation is in its singular it's not revelations it's revelation and it's really the unveiling of jesus when jesus came the first time and because of man's rejection of him he really came as the suffering savior the suffering servant but when he comes again he comes as the king of kings and lord of lords he comes as our judge he comes as the one who's all-powerful and almighty and we have seen that already in the first chapter of Revelation. It just explodes with unveiling who Jesus is in his, in his fullness, not in just one snapshot, but in a panoramic view of who and all he is. And that's true about all the attributes of God. If you just pick one attribute of God, you miss really understanding who God is. But as we, as we think about that, it's also unique in this book of the Revelation as he, as he writes it to, uh, to John. And John, in, in many ways, was one of the more unique disciples of, of Jesus in, in a couple of ways. One is that even just in temperament and personality. Often we, we kind of are enamored with the kind of how a, a person kind of lives out their life. And initially, um, John was the, labeled as the son or one of the sons of thunder. And so he kind of had a volatile uh, kind of a red-necked, uh, ferocious part of his personality. We don't normally see that in his writings, but he was, a, he was a man who had strong feelings about everything. And so there were times he wanted to call down the fire from heaven to consume that which he did not appreciate. But on the other hand, he's also known as a disciple with whom Jesus loved. And so he's kind of known as the loving disciple, the disciple of love. But not only that do we have in terms of a man of extremes, we also have, in one sense, a man of extremes in terms of how he started his journey with God. He was probably the youngest of the disciples, which means he probably was a teenager when he was called by Jesus to be one of the twelve. And, and so he had that freshness about him when he was young. But also now we see John living longer than any of the other disciples, including the Apostle Paul, and he's now in his 90s. And so in many ways, we get that lesson. You're never too young to serve God, and you're never too old. And I hope you, hope you hold on. There, it, what, what, there's, not, there's no sadder thing than someone to, to stop living before they stop breathing. 
okay? Just don't do that, okay? Don't stop living until you stop breathing. God has left you here for a purpose. And, and whether there are a lot of restrictions on what you can do compared to what you used to do, keep living for God. And John was restricted uh, physically by the Roman Empire, but he kept living for God. And in the midst of this, we have God through Jesus, through the angel, the messenger, sending John a unique message. John wrote the Gospel of John, the three epistles, first, first and second, third John, and then the book of Revelation. And what I want to do this morning is I want to do a couple things. One is I want to give you the big picture of the book of Revelation, and we'll be seeing that in a variety of different ways throughout this series. But I also want to give the beginning of the messages to the church and to the churches. First of all, in the midst of the unveiling of Jesus in the book of Revelation, and people can get overly preoccupied with the details of this book, though it's, it's fascinating, and we're going to try to look at those, we, we want to see that God has given us a clue as to how this book is unfolding. And so look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, John receives these words from Jesus. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. Sometimes, if you remember back in English class, or maybe even some other class, like a history class or whatever, they'll, they'll tell you outlines, to outline maybe the, the chronology of, of a war, World War I or World War II, or they'll, they'll tell you to outline maybe someone's presidential leadership in the years he was in office. Well, and that kind of gives you things to hang on in terms of understanding what happened. Well, the book of Revelation does that in Revelation 1.19. He says, John, I want you to write the things which you have seen. Now, I want you to think about it here for a moment. He's writing this, as we designate, in verse 19. Before verse 19, how many verses were there? Very good, class. All right, 18 verses. And so what he says, the things you have just seen, I want you to write that down. So if you were to outline this book, chapter 1 primarily, up to, up to the last two verses, is the things that John had seen. And what he had seen was the unveiling of Jesus in a pictorial way with the, the Word of God coming out like a two-edged sword out of his mouth. He was dressed in a white robe. He had the, 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 the gray hair of wisdom. He had, he had the penetrating eyes of a burning fire that, that could see right through someone. And he was seeing him in, in, in both a rewarding but a judging way. You, you, see, you saw Jesus in his majesty. I want you to write down those things you have seen. But then he says, I want you to write the things which are. And which are were the things presently going on around him. And he, he's going to be writing chapters 2 and 3 to the churches in Asia Minor, or what we would know as Turkey. And, and really when he did that, and there were more than seven churches you know, in, a, in, in the first century. And we have some of those recorded in the Bible. The church at Corinth, the church at uh, in Colossae, the church in Philippi. But he picked these seven churches, and seven is normally seen as the, as the number of completeness, to, to represent churches of his day, all the type churches of his day, as well as probably ours as well. And so as we look at these messages to the churches or to an individual church, he was writing not only to that church of that day, but all, all churches like that church of that day. And when he writes to us, as we read it, he's writing not only to the church of that day, but to us, and particularly as we are like that today. And in many ways, these seven churches are like every church uh, in the world today, some more predominantly one way than the other. 
but all of us can see some applications in our lives where we fall into certain patterns like they did. So in, in one sense, as we look at the church, the message of the church at Ephesus, it's like the, the message of the church in Alicia Viejo or the message of the church, Grace Hills Church, and the challenge for us. And, and so with that, John receives the message. In verse 20 it says, As for the mystery of the seven church, seven stars which you saw on my right hand, we touched on that briefly, but sometimes uh, the Bible unveils those things which we need to interpret. He begins to interpret that. He says, the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, the seven gold lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the lampstands are the seven churches. And, and so he says, I want you to understand what I'm talking about. I, in, in this pictorial view of me and my majesty and power, I have seven stars in my hand. But these aren't celestial bodies up in the sky these are representative of things that give give light a star usually gives light and they're in my right hand uh, and but the, the seven stars I, i'm not talking to the church at large but i'm talking to the angels of those churches and the angels can be a heavenly angel or an earthly angels and most will take that as i'm talking to the seven pastors of those churches of the seven churches and he says the lampstands which give light, that isn't representative of, of churches. And then he said, I got something to say to each one of them. So this morning, let's look at the message of the church at Ephesus. And it begins in verse 1 of chapter 2. He said, To the angel or pastor of the church in Ephesus, write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Now, if somehow you got a letter from Jesus, would you be motivated to read it? Hopefully. If it's particularly addressed to you, okay, this is singularly involved in me, but though probably has larger application for everybody else as well. And so he's saying, I'm going to say this to this group of believers gathered together in this location, but as represented to other churches like them, just like this. Now, if you're going to get a message from someone, particularly it's going to be maybe a strong message. There are various ways that message can be communicated. And in some ways, we'll, we'll do that with people that we, we've got to say something that, they, that maybe they don't necessarily want to hear, and so we'll say something like this. Do you want to hear the good news, or do you want to hear the bad news? Now, I don't, I'm not, I don't know which one you are, whether you want to hear the bad news first or the good news first or whatever it might be, but th this is what he does here. He gives them good news and bad news, or put it this way, he gives them things that are doing right, and he tells them things they're doing wrong. But the, the helpful news is when he points out what's right and what's wrong, he tells them how to fix it. He says, I'm going to give you principles by which you can correct that which is wrong. And, and so this is the backdrop to the churches uh, in uh, chapters 2 and 3, and he begins with the church at Ephesus. And so he begins with the good news, or to put it another way, he begins with words of commendation, things that he was praising them about. And you can, you can, di you can diagram this various ways. Some people look at seven things in, chapter, in verses 2 and 3, and some kind of just summarize in fours. But here are things he's excited about that is true about their church. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. And, and there it's simply say, I'm, I'm watching what you're doing, and I, I've discovered that not only do you work, but you work what? You work hard. 
have you ever been involved in uh, anything? I don't care whether it's it's uh, it's building a you know something at your around your house or in in some uh, job opportunity or maybe just at home you're you're preparing for the family to come over and the house needs to be clean the co- the food needs to be cooked things need to be arranged and and all of a sudden you're looking around and, and you're working and you look around and what what do you find no one else is working doesn't that displease your soul I mean, aren't you glad when you're doing all the work and no one is helping well he said you know as i look at the work of the church as i, I look at what what i've sent as you to you and all the other churches agenda I look at your labor, and you, and you labor and, and toil, and you're doing everything you can for the cause of Christ. And, and so there was, there was much to, to praise about this church, the church at Ephesus. If you want to use alliteration, you can say, this is a church that was sacrificial with the use of their time and their efforts. They worked hard for God. And then he goes on, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And women, aren't you glad they didn't say evil, evil, evil women? They said evil men. And, and we could, you know, again, dissect that in a lot of different ways. But basically, they were sensitive to sin. The, the, when we don't tolerate evil, that really means that we, we care so much about the person who's involved in evil that we'll confront them. We'll confront them with their sin. But, you know, if you want to look at a cross-reference, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, if you ever confront someone with sin, somebody else's sin, you first need to confront who? With their sin. Your own sin. And so, you know, I, I praise you because you, you don't tolerate evil men because you confront it. And you confront it by first confronting your own sin. And then he goes on and says, And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And he says, not only do that, but you correct false teaching. You know, we live in a very religious world today. There are people of all faiths that populate this planet. And one of the um, similarities... Uh, in, in the faith is that almost all of them uh, claim to be exclusive. If you're going to get to know God, you've got to go through us. Well, if everyone says you've got to go through us only, then that means someone's got to be right and someone else has got to be what? Wrong. And he said, you, you care so much about the truth, you'll confront false teaching. You won't tolerate people saying one thing is true when it's not. And last week, you, Brandon went through the book of Jude with you, and, and that was all about contending for the faith and not being deceived and not letting those who, who will deceive you be in places where they can teach that which is error. And so he corrected false teaching. Or put it this way, they were very scriptural. So this sounds like a pretty good church. They were sacrificial. They were sin-sensitive. They were scriptural. They worked hard. They confronted sin. They corrected false teaching. And, and then look at... Look at the next phrase um, in verse 3. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. They were a people that didn't give up. How many have ever been weary? Anybody, anybody tired today? Anybody just come in saying, man, I'm kind of tired this morning. Um, so the only people in the first service were tired. You're all wide awake, all right? But, you know, it, it went... went um, I think it was Vince Lombardi to his football team said, you know, um, uh, exhaustion or tiredness makes uh, cowards of us all. Yet you, once you get to the point where you felt that you have spent every ounce of energy in your body, you know, you just can't go on. Of course, God is saying, well, yeah, you can go on one more step and one more step and one more step because God's strength is sufficient 
for anything. And they lived in a world in which the pressure was intense on every church because at that time they, they, were, they were focusing in the Roman Empire on worshiping Caesar and him alone. And they had to decide, no, we worship Jesus and him alone. And so the pressure was on them. And yet they did not grow weary to the point of giving up. So they were steadfast. I mean, th- this had been a great church to belong to, a, a, a church that was that was sacrificial, it worked hard, it was sin-sensitive, it confronted sin, it, it corrected false teaching, it was scriptural, and it, it didn't give up, it was steadfast. So that's the good news. That's the words of commendation. But then you have the words of condemnation, where he says, now, now I've got to tell you some things that, in fact, a singular thing that you probably don't want to hear, but it's so necessary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And, and at first I will say, I mean, all those things we're doing, and now you're, you're worried about our love life? I mean, why do you think we're doing all these things? Well, of course, God with his penetrating eyes, with flaming fire, he could look beyond the activity and saw in the midst of the activity there wasn't adoration. In the midst of all the work, he said, there's really not any worship. You're doing hard things, but your heart really isn't in it. It looks good maybe on the outside, but on the inside, there's something missing. Now, there are a variety of ways to look at this first love. In fact, I've, I've read fairly extensively on the various opinions on that. Some say, well, you know, that passion you used to have is no longer there. The, the, the intimacy that was driven by emotional uh, Fervor is no longer there. And, and that kind of that, that infatuation when you first meet that person who might become your life partner or that, that first boyfriend or first girlfriend, that just overwhelming sense of, of feelings and, and, and driven emotions, it's, it's just not there. And he's talking about that kind of love, kind of the crazy love or the radical love or the passionate love. And, and there might be some of that there. I mean, God wants us to be intimate and intense and and motivated with enthusiasm and excitement for this God who's done everything for us. But, but inherently the word for love in the New Testament, agape, is a, is a word not governed by feelings. It's governed by a realization of, of the value of the one who is loved. And the priority of that person in relationship. And seeking the highest good at, with all effort, with a motivation to please the person you're caring for. And, and so in many ways, I, I think you can understand what it means to have left your first love with just the simple words in the text. You have a love, particularly for me, but it's not a what kind of love? This is not a, a, a trick question. It is not a... A love that comes, it's, it's the F word here, okay, first. Now, we, we just, I, I kind of must, we ought to start all over. Somehow you didn't quite get this, all right. It, it's a love that's no longer first. Now, th- th- let, let's, let's put this in the, the marriage relationship. If, if all of a sudden, you know, uh, in your marriage relationship, let's, let's make the, the man the evil, guy, evil man. And all of a sudden, he's beginning to look around 
at somebody else as a potential person to replace the person he's married to. The love that he first had for that spouse is no longer first, right? They're saying, well, maybe, maybe there's somebody out there I might love more than this one I used to love first. And now maybe, maybe that person now on the, on the pecking order is maybe a second or a third or a fourth or a fifth or a tenth or a one hundredth. And he's saying, as I look at your life, there are other things that are starting to creep in and, and no longer am I first in your life. You know, Jesus said a lot of things that, that just warm our soul and cause us to be filled with just amazement at how caring he is to us. Come to me all who are weary, talked about weariness earlier, and heavy laden, I'll give you what? Rest. But listen to what Jesus said, and I think it's primarily directly related to the issue of love. He said this in, in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. It's not in your outline, but you might want to just jot it down here. He said, if any man comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, was he saying that he was going to contradict Scripture where it says the, the husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church? And is he contradicting the Scripture, said, saying that we ought to love our neighbors ourselves? Is he contradicting the passage where he said in John 13 that we are to love one another even as I have loved you? Obviously he wasn't saying that. But he was saying, as, as you look at your life, if somehow the other people in your life, the most important people in your life, your, your, your parents and your, and your spouse and your brothers and sisters, if somehow you've come to the point in my relationship with you and your relationship with me, you love them more than me, then you no longer love me, what? First. And, and, and so as we think of the call for us to come into relationship with God, we, we come to that point where we say, there was a, there was a, there was a song in the first service that said, I've come to love, I have the love of life that's better than life itself. And we were just singing at the very end of the service, and I was thinking, you know, that, that's an amazing statement to sing and really believe. I, I've come to find the love of life, the, I've, come to, I've come to discover the love that is better than life itself. And so he was speaking to this church and saying, look at in, 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 in light of all that I've done for you, all the grace and love that I've poured out on you, the first love needs to come to me. So, the message of the church at Ephesus, the message to the church at Grace Hill. And again, the church are the people. How is your love life? Who's the most important person in all of your life? It cannot be things. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The Bible says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your mind putting him first and then from there then we love our neighbor as ourselves because when we're filled with god's love then we have love left over to leak out on others 
But if we don't love him first, pretty soon all those things that we're doing now will no longer do. And all those things that look like self-sacrifice will be self-serving. But in the light of knowing how much God loves us, and we want to love him in turn in that same way, then everything else falls in line. How do we know if we're really loving God? Well, there's a couple things, three things here. How is, how is this kind of first love defined? Particularly as, as it relates to Jesus. Uh, the Bible says that in, first, in John 13, 34, it answers, well, what are we to do? Well, we are to, to love like Jesus loved. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How, how did Jesus love his disciples? He, he became a servant to them. He met their needs. He, he thought of them as more important than himself, even though he was fully God. But the, the passage that probably speaks to it as clearly as possible, John 14, 21, says this, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And he, will, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. We love God when we obey him. Sometimes you've had that conversation maybe with your kids or grandkids and you tell them what to do and they don't do it. You tell them what to do, they don't do it. And you tell them what to do, they don't do it. And after a while, I, I wonder if they really love me because I, I, I'm trying to tell them to do what is best for them, but they, they reject everything I say. Maybe, maybe they doubt I know what's best for them or I, or I want what's best for them. And we do it imperfectly. But when we don't obey God, we tell God all the time, well, I, know, I know better than you do. I know what's more important than you do. And, and, and that's probably the harshest way to, to, to not love someone, by, by not respecting what they say and what they do. And here we have the ultimate one who knows what's best. So how do we love God? If we can define it by what we do. Are we doing the thing God, God wants us to do, and are we not doing the things God does not want us to do? Love is a being obedient to Jesus. Secondly, we have to ask ourselves the question, well, why do we do it? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 10 talks about that we love because God first what? Loved us. So our love ought to always flow out of not our ability to love him on our own strength and power, but because he first demonstrated love to us. So I want to read from Luke chapter 7, which is just a, an amazing passage about where our demonstration of love should come. It's an experience with Simon, which was Jesus, and, and he came into Simon's house and he kind of treated him as like a so-so guest and really show him a lot of respect or honor. And then all of a sudden, uh, this, this uh, lady came up, verse 44. Uh, turning toward the woman, she said, he said to Simon, uh, Did you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So when our, when our love for God grows cold, when it's not love that is first, it gets highest priority, we're more concerned about how we're pleasing God than anybody else on this planet. The reason we don't do that, the, why that why dissipates is we have forgotten how much he has loved us we have forgotten how much he has forgiven us 
we have forgotten how much grace and mercy needed, needed to display in our life so that we could even be able to, to be at all in His presence. When we are overwhelmed by God's love, our love for Him will be overwhelming as well. Does that make sense? Because He's deserving of our love. And, and so we need to ask ourselves the question, the what? What are we doing? Are we being obedient to God? The why? Are we doing it out of a of a heart overwhelmed by the forgiving power that has demonstrated his uh, canceling our sin and providing everything that we need. And, and then we need to ask ourselves the question, well, how am I loving? I, in, in what way? You know, 1 Corinthians 13 is known as what kind of chapter? The love chapter. And, and it's often used in marriage ceremonies and, and renewing of vows, but it's right in the middle of a of a letter to the church. In fact, it was right in the middle of a, a letter to a church that was going through all kinds of things that, that, were, that were not God-honoring. And in the midst of all that, he said, look it, as you're, as you're wrestling with what spiritual gifts you have or don't have, and as you look at how you ought to order your services, as you look at being obedient to God's word, I want you to understand it's all about love. Reading from a familiar passage, he goes, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith to remove mountains but do not have love, I have nothing. I have given all my possessions to feed the poor. And if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And then he describes how love ought to be demonstrated. Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It does not provoke. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, now what that description is, is you can, is you can, you, you can potentially have the right motive, the why you're doing what you're doing. You can even be involved in the right action. What, you, what you're doing is, is a loving act. But, but if you don't do it in a loving way, how does that come across? I, I, I wish I, I could tell you that this hasn't happened to me more than once, but it's happened to me many times. Where I'll, I'll do something, and all of a sudden, well, well, I, I, you know, maybe I, I'm, I'm trying to say something to someone in a positive way, but maybe for whatever reason, you know, I, I, I don't say with the right kind of tone of voice, kind of in a harsh way, or I, I do it what, what appears to be flippantly, or whatever it might be, and they say, well, I, I know you said something loving, and I'm not going to question your motive, but it sure can come across loving. Have you ever had that happen to you? Am I the only one here? Good bit of it. Well, you know, man, I, I think I'm doing the right motive, and I know I'm doing the right action, but for whatever reason, I'm not doing it in a very loving way, and boy, that communicates <laughs> so, you know, so well, okay? And so as we think about love, it, it needs to be examined by, what are you, is, it a, what, is what you're doing a loving action? And, and does it come from a loving heart? That's why you're doing it. And is it being done in a loving way? That's how you do it. And you put all those three things together, put God first in all of this, and then we get back to how God wants us to live. Words of commendation, you work hard. You know, you're concerned about things that are scriptural. You're faithful, you're steadfast. You are sensitive to sin, but, but have you left your first love? Well, what, what's the solution? Well, my time says we don't have time for the solution, but let's read it, all right? Let's go back to Revelation 2 and we'll, we'll wrap this up quickly. And we're not going to comment on everything in this section because 
I don't have time this morning. But Revelation chapter 2, he, he then says, okay, after he tells them the things that, the thing that needs to change, the condemnation, you've left your first love in verse 4. Verse 4, he says this, Therefore, here's the solution, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first or else I am coming to you uh, and, uh, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. One Lord's Day, I'm going to show you some of the slides that uh, Bill Bannon got from visiting Turkey a, about a year ago. And, and one of the sobering things about seeing the churches in Ephesus, the, the seven churches that are, I mean, seven churches in Turkey or Asia Minor, is that as you go back to those churches, every one of them, their lampstand got removed because all you see here is not a thriving church, but you see what? Ruins. And so Jesus told them what needed to be corrected and how to correct it, but after a period of time, they didn't do that. And what are the three things they ought to do? They ought to remember. Remember what it was when they had Christ as their first love. They needed to repent after they realized, I'm not doing what I used to do. That's not where I'm at right now. And then the doing or the redoing. Go back to what you used to do that, that caused you to put him first. I, you know, I, I, I close with this. How do you spell love? And you're thinking, Pastor, don't you know how to spell that word, four-letter word? Well, some people spell it this way, T-I-M-E. And think of, in, in terms of thinking back, after you remember and, and you and repent, say, I need to get back to that. Well, what do you need to do? Well, maybe you need to spend time with God. Where you just pri- prioritize your day, where there's, there's, there's time you spend with Him and His Word. Reading His letter to you. Some people spell uh, love with another four-letter word. T-A-L-K. I, I dare say any relationship doesn't go very well if you don't spend any time, what, talking with the person that you have a relationship with. And so they need to say, hey, I know I'm, I'm frantic doing a lot of things, but how much time am I spending talking with God? Now, we've all heard these things before, but how much time do we spend with God? How much time do we talk with him? And one, one other four-letter word, you know, how do you spell love? C-A-R-E. Do you care? Do I really care what's on the heart of God? Do I care what's important to him? Are his cares my care? Or am I only thinking about myself and what's comfortable for me? How's your love life? How's my love life? We can be involved in a lot of good things, but have we missed the most important things? Have we left Jesus being first in our love life? Are we remembering where we were? And once we remember where we were, are we repenting of that which brought us there? And then are we redoing the things, taking the time, and spending time... Set aside times where we talk with God and care about what He cares. Let's pray. Father, you, uh, you want us to have a vital relationship with the living God. And Father, you want us to, to put that love first because you have first loved us. And Father, might we be a people that long to be in right relationship with you.
not in a legal sense, but a relational sense of putting you first. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our time together, let's stand as we sing.